You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. All right, let's get our Bibles out this morning and turn to Isaiah chapter 7. As we continue in our series, God with us. And um, I want to ask you this question. Have you ever um, felt like you're in over your head? You're in over your head. Uh, maybe it's the emotion of something that's happened in your life and you just feel like you're in over your head. Uh, maybe it's your financial situation and you're not sure how you're going to make it, how it's all going to come together and you feel like you're in over your head. Maybe uh, it's in the relationship with your spouse or with your family and I feel like I'm in over my head. Uh, maybe it's the circumstances that have hit you and I'm in over my head or uh, maybe even you're going to get a report from the doctor this week and you're not sure what the results are going to be and you, you feel like you're in over your head. Um, the reality of the God who loves us and the God who cares for us is the God who can take care and satisfy in any of those circumstances that I've just talked about. But our text, our text in Isaiah 7 is talking about a situation where we're in way over our heads. Um, we talked last week about uh, the mess we were in and what had happened with Ahaz. And we're going to come back and see that in a moment. But the the great reality is it didn't end with the mess, but rather there's a message that is coming that leads to great hope for all of us who are in Christ Jesus. And if you're here today and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, there's great hope for you as well. So I trust you've got your Bibles open. Let's stand together. We want to honor God as we read his word. And I'm going to read starting in Isaiah 7, uh, starting at verse 7. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria. And the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. Look at this next line. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they will call his name Emmanuel. Let's pray. Lord, again, we... Thank you for the amazing privilege we have to be in this room holding copies of your word in our hand and reading the truth that you have given to us, especially, Lord, as we consider the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this text. This text. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Father, we were without hope. Uh, we were at the end of our rope and we did not know what to do. And there was nothing in, of us, in us but the Lord, but the Lord. And Father, we thank you for that reality in our lives today. And as we look at this text, we pray that you would encourage our hearts. Father, give us ears that we would listen attentively to your word. We have ears to hear, minds that we might understand. And then God, would you change our hearts, hearts to be filled with passion for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, you can take your seats. 
Well, last week we took a look at the mess. That's what the therefore in this verse was therefore. And we talked about the situation that Ahaz found himself in in his time, the uh, northern kingdom in league with Syria. We put that up on a map last week. Uh, Comes down and uh, they ask for the southern kingdom, Judah, to join with them to go into battle against Assyria. And um, Ahaz in the south says, we're not going to do that. And so Syria and the northern kingdom kingdom attack, um, they attack the south. Uh, they take 120,000 people, uh, in, excuse me, 120,000 men are killed and 200,000 are taken into captivity. And that's the context of where this is going on. Ahaz is in a mess. But Ahaz is spoken to by God. It's interesting, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Ahaz understood and knew that truth, but determined in his heart to walk away from that truth. If you're not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Look at the very next words. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. He had an opportunity to be firm in his faith. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. You can ask anything so that God will show you what you need to do. And his response is, I won't do it. I won't do it. And in so he's wearying the people. Ultimately, he is wearying God and God's judgment is coming on him. But whether he asks or not, God is going to deliver a message. And so Ahaz finds himself in a mess that he can't fix. He finds himself in a mess that there's nothing he can, he can do anything about it. And the people will pay an ultimate price because of that, because of his disobedience and his unwillingness to Deal with the mess. And then Isaiah speaks to him. Therefore, the Lord himself, he will give you a sign. You don't want a sign? You don't want to ask for a sign? The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel. So we understand that there was obviously a context for this verse in Isaiah's day. We're going to come back to that a little later in the message. But... um, We also know that there's a a context of this verse, which is for us. And we saw that last week as well when we looked at uh, Matthew uh, chapter 1. And in Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 21, when God is uh, speaking through the angel to Joseph, she will bear a son. You will call his name Jesus, for we will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. So what the Lord spoke to the prophet by the prophet is for this story. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Ahaz found himself in a mess that he couldn't fix and there was nothing he could do about it. And the reality is every one of us in this room, because of our sinfulness, our separation from God, we're not very different from Ahaz, uh, maybe in the size of the things he did because he was a king, but the reality, the rebellion he had is the rebellion we have. And he found himself in a huge, huge mess. That's what the therefore was there for. But we want to take a look in this message, the rest of our time, at the next part of the verse. The next part of the verse says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The Lord himself will give you a sign. We're just going to take that statement apart. The first point of my message is the, the. You're like, what, pastor, did you run out of material? You had to make a point out of the word the? Yeah, it's an important word because it's not the word ah. 
It's not a Lord. It's the Lord. And that makes all of the difference. It's not a God. It's the God. We live in a polytheistic world. There's many ways to God. There's many gods. There's many. No. The. The Lord. The Lord. We live in a world that hates absolutes, always looking for ways out, options of things we can do. We, we live in a world that the heart of the people is, I, I want what I want. I want it now. I'll, I'll do it my way. That song, I did it my way, is, a, is the theme song of hell. The. The. People talk about being spiritual. I hear that all the time. You know, I'm, I'm a spiritual person. I'm a spiritual person. And, and that means so many different things to so many different people. But at the end of the day, for most of those people, that spirituality leads to them on the throne. I'm going to figure out my way to God. I'm going to try and do it my way. And I'll take God at the level I want him at. And there's a way that seems right unto man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death, the Bible says. There are many understandings about God, but there's only one way to God. There's only one way to God, and that is through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's why the incarnation is so important. John 14, 6, we talked about it. When we looked at the I Am series. He said, I am, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, not some men, not everybody who chooses to come this way. No man comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4 and verse 12 says, and there is salvation in no one else. There's no other way. There's not a plan B or C or D. You find your way to God. There is salvation in no one else for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Children of God, we need to realize and understand there is an exclusivity to Christianity. It cannot be denied. If we're going to truly follow the word of God, Jesus said, I am the way, and there is salvation in no one else. There's an exclusivity that we must embrace. But it can never lead to our pride. It can't be about we've got it all figured out and we're, we're all that. It's, it's not about who we are. It's not about who I am. It's not about arrogance. It's not about pride. When we understand that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that should bring us to humility. That should bring us to lifting up the name of Jesus Christ in a careful, honoring way because he is the only way to the Father. The. Not our Lord. The Lord. And that's the second point. The Lord the Lord. As Isaiah puts that word to pen, what did, what did he mean by that? The, the Lord. What did that mean to the people who understood it? They had, they had lots of different words that described God. And I'm going to take a little bit of time this morning and walk through some of them for you because it's important that you understand the expanse of what they understood. But please don't even bother trying to write this down. I'm not even sure I'll say them all correctly and I sure can't spell them. Okay. So, but just take hold of who God is and his character and his nature. Um, in this text, the word that's used is Adonai. We'll come back to that. Um, but one of the names for God was Yahweh or Jehovah. 
first seen in the book of Exodus. I am who I am. It was a sense of God being um, immediate and a presence, and it was overwhelming for them. They, they didn't even want to use the term. It was so overwhelming for them. But there are other uh, then parts to that name that would go along with it that would help them to understand God and his goodness for them. So when Isaiah says the Lord, he's talking about Jehovah God. Jehovah God who is Jehovah Jireh. The Lord who will provide. And when you have a need and, and you cry out to God and he makes provision for you, do, do you thank, you don't call him Jehovah Jireh necessarily, but do you thank the God who is your provider? Because that's part of what they understood when they understood about God. He's the one who provides for us. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. The Lord who heals. It's amazing what doctors can do and what medicine has done, but they still call it the practice of medicine. They're still trying to figure it out. The great physician is not the guy in your doctor's office. He might be a good physician. Sorry, Mike Lingley. But he's not the great physician. The great physician is God. He is the healer. He is the healer. The spiritual sickness that we have, the death that we face, he is the healer. And God has gifted great men to have great gifts, to do amazing things on our bodies. But all of that is a gift from God, who is the great healer. God, my healer. God, my banner. God, my banner. It's, a, it's understood that God is like, it's like God is the rallying place. God is my, my rallying place. I, I go back. I'm always focused back to him. Uh, when we were in Israel uh, a few years ago, we were on the red bus. There were five buses. We were on the red bus, like herding cats. Dave was with us. And, and so we'd get off the bus and, and we were too old for us to have to hold onto the rope and eat Oreo cookies. They couldn't do that to us. And so what they did was we had two flags. There was a guy that was supposed to be at the front of the group and we were the red bus. He had a red flag and a guy at the back and he had a red flag, and you were supposed to try and stay in there because, like, that was the rallying point. God is our rallying point. He is our focus. They understood that. God is the one who sanctifies me. He alone. The law didn't sanctify them. God makes us holy. Yahweh Shalom is God is my peace. Yahweh Elohim means the Lord God, a combination of God's unique name of Yahweh and, and the word Lord. God is the, the Lord of lords, the Lord, the Lord. Jehovah said, can you? The Lord is our righteousness. It's God alone who provides righteousness to man. I am not righteous. My righteousness is as filthy deeds. But what God does in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become, in him, in Jesus Christ, we might become what? The righteousness of God. God is my righteousness. Psalm 23, 1, Jehovah Rohai, the Lord our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And David thinks and, and goes back and sees God in the picture of the shepherd. And we talked about provision in the, in the pasture and, and not letting them drink out of muddy puddles. And we talked about the clear water that they will provide. And the Lord is my shepherd. I don't want another shepherd. And I don't want what another shepherd offers. We talked about that last summer. Because why? Because God is our shepherd. They understood that. God is my shepherd. They understood some other things about God. They understood that Yahweh Shammah, the Lord is there. The once departed 
glory of the Lord had returned and they would call that Jehovah Shammah. And there have been times in your life where uh, you were in a great place with the Lord and then you're not in a great place with the Lord. And through repentance and turning and confession, you get back into a right place with the Lord and you come back to the Lord is there. He never wasn't there, but, but you had turned your back and the Lord is there. The Lord, the Lord who was there, the Lord, the almighty God. There are other names. El Eloah. Another name, El, instead of Yahweh, is the mighty and strong. It speaks of God being powerful. Elohim, the creator, the mighty and strong one. El Shaddai, a God almighty. El Elyon, the most high God. El Roy, God of seeing, the God who sees. Maybe we need to have a little bit more of this in our lives, the God who sees. When nobody else is looking, God sees. We're in a secret place where nobody else is around and God sees. The Lord, the Lord who sees. When we think we're all by ourselves and nobody cares anymore, the God who sees. When we're in over our head, he's the God who sees. The Lord. El Olam, the everlasting God. And then there's the mighty God. And then there's this word, which is the word that he uses here. It's the word Adonai. And it was a word that they used because they, they wouldn't say Jehovah. They wouldn't say that, that word Yahweh. They wouldn't say it. And so this was the word that they used. This was a word that they felt comfortable to say. And basically there were many different con parts to it, but it was with the idea of God is filled with majesty and God is filled with authority and, and God is sovereign. God is a majestic God. He is impressive. He is stately. He is filled with dignity and beauty. He is filled with royal power. Psalm 8, 1 says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. He's filled with majesty. He's filled with authority, the power or right to give orders, to make decisions, to enforce obedience. And so often we push back against God when it's, it's his will and his desire for us. And he has the authority in our lives. He has the authority in this earth. He is God, the creator. He can give the orders. He can make the decisions. He can enforce obedience in our lives because he is a God who's filled with authority, his Adonai. Psalm 115.3 says, our God is in heaven. He does all that he pleases. Job 42.2 says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be, can be thwarted. The Lord, the Lord filled with majesty, the Lord filled with authority, the Lord God who is sovereign. How do you explain sovereignty in a sentence? Well, you can't. You spend sovereignty studying God in a lifetime. But um, here's a statement. All things under God's rule and control, and nothing happens without his direction, without his permission. He is God. He is God. Psalm 90 verse 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Colossians 1.17, And he is before all things, and him, in him all things hold together. Church, we made a mess. We're a mess. And there's nothing we can do to fix it. There's nothing we could do about it. But the Lord, the Lord, 
And we need to spend more time. We need to spend more focus understanding who he is and his attributes. I just skimmed the surface on a few of the names of God and understanding God and how awesome he is and all that he has done for us. He is, he is the Lord. The Lord. The next word says, the Lord himself. The Lord himself. Hey, have you ever been in a situation where something went wrong and you needed to complain about something and you needed to get it fixed? And as you're talking, you just don't seem to be getting to the right person who can actually fix the problem. And so maybe you're on the phone with a company and you're like, hey, can I speak to your manager? Can I speak to your manager's manager? And you're trying to get up to the top so that you can get that thing fixed. I can remember as I was the director of a conference center before I came to Harvest, and sometimes people would come and talk to me about something they were concerned about or wondered about, and I didn't do it often, but sometimes I would say, I'll take care of that myself. I'll take care of that myself, because uh, I was the CEO, and for them, that was like, whoa, okay, I guess the top dog's going to take care of this for me. That's what, okay, I'm not calling God the top dog. I'm never going to do that, but that's the reality of what's going on right here. See, we have a mess, and there's nothing we can do about it. And I love the fact that it says, the Lord himself. The angels aren't taking care of this. This isn't from, for some flunky minion at the third level to come and take care of this problem for us. The problem we have in our separation from God, in the mess that's been created, he says, the Lord himself, God himself, you were a sinful person separated from God, nothing you could do about it, and God himself took care of my thing. God himself took care of your thing. That should be great comfort to us when we realize how much God loves us and cares for us that he himself, he himself. Some verses about that, about Jesus hanging on the tree as well, he himself. We were God's priority we were God's plan. We were in God's purpose. And God as a heavenly father, as a parent, he himself. See, there's no second best. There's only the best when God is working. Therefore, the Lord himself. The verse goes on and says, the Lord himself will give. The Lord himself will give. It means to appoint or ascribe or bestow or deliver. The, the bottom line is uh, God will do this and, and it's a gift. Uh, God will do it and it's a gift. God extends mercy, not getting what we deserve. He, just, he extends grace to us where we, we, um, we, we get what we don't deserve. He extended that to Ahaz and Ahaz rejected it. And he expects, he, he uh, sends it to us and, and we must receive it. But it says the Lord himself, he will give there's a gift that's being offered. It's a gift that we don't want. It's a gift that we don't even realize that we need. It's a gift that we at first reject, but it's a gift that's available to us today. Now here's the difference. Here's the difference. There's this great big therefore at the beginning of the verse. Uh, Daniel's joined our staff and I'm getting to know him and love him and he's growing in the Lord. And, um, but... Daniel's view of this would probably be, I've got something for you, but you're going to work for it. You got to pay for it. You've hurt me too much. You've done this and this and this and this and this and this and this. And yeah, I've got something, but it's not going to be a free gift. You're going to earn it. He's no different than I would be. He's no different than you would be. 
but that's not the way God is. We did everything we could to alienate ourselves from God. We're enemies of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. We don't want the gift. We don't earn the gift. We reject the gift, and yet he gives us the gift. The Lord himself will give. The next word is the Lord himself will give you. The Lord himself will give you. It's personal. It's personal. It was personal for Ahaz. All of this opportunity was there for him and the Lord himself is going to give you. We're going to come and see what that is, the rest of this message, and especially next week. But the Lord himself will give the gift that comes, and he gives it to you. It's a personal gift. It was personal to Ahaz. It was personal for the nation of Israel. It's personal for me. And I have to decide what I do with the gift that God has given me in Jesus Christ. I remember hearing Sue's story as we were dating and getting to know each other and finding out that she trusted the Lord when she was about eight years old. I trusted the Lord when I was about eight years old. We had to make a personal decision. Our parents couldn't make it for us. We had to do it. Our son, who preached here a few weeks ago, he had to make that decision. Our daughter, who was in the last service, she had to make that decision. I can't make that decision for her. The church can't push something on. We had little Ezekiel up here and we pray for him. And he needs to make that decision because the gift is given to us on a personal level and we need to respond before God one-on-one. I'll never get to heaven on the faith of my parents or on the church that I attended. It has, has nothing to do with that in my salvation. My salvation is all about what Jesus did for me and how I will respond to that. And so the text says the Lord himself will give you And the last part of our message for today is the Lord himself will give you a sign. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The word sign means a mark, a symbol. It's the idea of a supernatural event. The Lord himself will give you a sign. And so you think about Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. And what did that mean to Ahaz? How was what Isaiah said fulfilled for Ahaz? Um, and the bottom line is there are men, women, others who've studied this text who are way smarter than I am or like, "Mm, some people think it's this and some people think it's that and it's not really that clear how it was actually fulfilled in their day. It might have been, it might have been through the birth of Mahir Shalal Hashbaz. Nobody's calling their kid that. Please, and don't ask me to do the dedication if you do. Meher Shahal Hashbaz was Isaiah's son born to his wife in Isaiah 8 and verse 3. And I went to the prophetess and she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, call his name Meher Shahal Hashbaz for before the boy knows how to cry. And then it goes on from there. And whether they were looking for son and couldn't have a son or didn't have a son, but God gives them this son. And, and was that the answer? And, and that's like, that's God's, that's Emmanuel with us. That's God with us. Not, not that he is, not like Jesus was, but look what the Lord has done. Look what God has done. Maybe, maybe other people think maybe it was a Hezekiah. Hezekiah was Ahaz's son that was born and the same circumstances around all of that. But the bottom line, there isn't clarity about that. There isn't clarity. So if you've got clarity, then you write the book and help the other people who couldn't figure it out. But here's what I know for sure. Because I don't know that for sure. But here's what I know for sure. And that 
This was written about Jesus. And how do I know that? Well, we already read it in Matthew 1, 21. See, what happens with prophecy so often is we're trying to figure out, was it fulfilled then and does it have a future piece? And, and, or was it, was it um, not fulfilled then and it was only a future piece? And, and here's what I know for sure about this text. I know for sure it was about Jesus. I know for sure. There are lots of times you wonder and you work it through and we'll get to heaven and we'll see it and we'll have it all figured out. But there's no doubt about this prophecy being about Jesus because that's what it says in Matthew 1. She will bear a son. You will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place. Why? To fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet and then he quotes Isaiah 7. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin shall conceive. That, that's the message next week. We're going to take a look at that. The virgin shall conceive. And we're going to study that and see what it means and how important is it. Was, was Mary really a virgin? Was that critical? What's the importance of that? And you better believe it's critical. It is absolutely foundational to the incarnation of Jesus Christ that Mary was a virgin. And we're going to study that and we're going to see it and we're going to understand some of the implications of that. The Lord himself will give you a, a sign. And this text is about Jesus Christ. And the one who would come, as, 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 um, as Joseph found out, and he would call his name Jesus. Why? Because the one who would come would save his people from their sins. And so what is being offered to us, what is being explained to us, what we need to understand from Isaiah chapter 7 is this gift of Jesus Christ was given for us so that we could have life. We were in a mess and we couldn't fix it just like Ahaz. And the Lord Jesus Christ came because he was the fix. He was the only fix. The only way we could ever be right with God was because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And as hard as I might be on somebody who hurt and despised and rejected me and I would want to strip off of their back because that's just the way we are in our humanness, God offered that gift to us in Jesus Christ as a free gift. And all I have to do is believe. This is what he did. This is what he did. So I could have eternal life. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, the Bible says. Because God gave a sign. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they will call his name Emmanuel. And you will call his name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sin. Hey, if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your savior, uh, th this is what the incarnation is all about. This is God fulfillment, the lamb of God who had to come to take away the sin of the world. You have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today and you can be saved. Salvation comes when I understand that I'm a mess. I'm separated from God. My sin separates me from God. Spiritually, ultimately, you're dead and God is making you alive. That's his work. That's what he does. And our part in that is to believe. I accept the fact I'm a sinner separated from God. I can't fix it. I don't earn it. I haven't deserved it. God's done all of this for me. I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be 
saved, the Bible says. Not do a whole lot of work, not do a whole lot of things, not try and pull your, your socks up to look better before God. No, just understand you're a wretched mess and God did all of this for you and all you have to do is believe. Seems too good to be true. It is too good to be true. It's a gift. It's a gift that comes from God. Church, when you take hold of what I just said, when you consider the God who heals and the God who comforts and the God who helps and the God who saves and the God who, you can't be the same anymore. It changes us from the inside out. It's like, this is awesome what God did. I deserve nothing. He did all of this for me. Now my all's for him. Not to get me to heaven. Not to get me to heaven. That's taken care of at the cross. That's taken care of in the finished work of Jesus Christ. But because of who God is and what, who do I think I am living for myself? Who do I think I am with my own priorities? Who do I think I am thinking I can do these things and nobody will know about them? Who do, who do I think I am? The Lord himself gave us a sign. And he gave his son and his name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so when I feel like I'm in over my head and my finances are a mess and am I going to keep myself on the throne or am I going to put God on the throne of my finances when I, my kids are in a hard way and I've found I've been pretty selfish about the way I've been leading them or I'm not sure what to do. Am I going to cry out to God in those things or am I just going to keep trying harder in those things? When I, when I realize I got a medical situation and I don't know what to do and my eyes are fixed on, oh no, oh no, for today... When God says, there's such a greater tomorrow for us, am I going to fix my eyes on those things? Am I going to fix my eyes on the Lord? I'm going to lean in on him. The Lord himself will give you a sign. So what? So what? It's the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the Lord. You're separated from God with no and Jesus came that you could have life and you could have it abundantly. So what? God has done an amazing work. God has done an amazing work for you. God's amazing work is a gift. If you've never received it, I urge you to receive that gift today. But follower of Christ, God has done that amazing work for you. Don't ever forget, but rather more and more every day, go back and remember the working of God. And then with a passionate heart, God, what are you calling me to? What are you calling me to? How are you calling me to serve? Who, who are you calling me to tell about this greatest gift that I have? Who, who am I to keep this to myself? It's, it's the greatest thing that's ever been given and I don't tell anybody about it. I don't even live before my friends like I even want that. The Lord himself will give you a sign. His name will be Emmanuel. He is Jesus. He saves his people from their sin. He can save you from your sin. He saved me from my sin. And now God help me. God with your help to live for your glory because truly you are God with us, Emmanuel. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word today. Thank you for this next sentence in that verse. And 
Lord, as we go on in this passage, we're going to see the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And Father, next week, would you um, open our eyes to see how critical all of that was, how important that is, how foundational that even is in our faith. But Lord, as we uh, come today, we come understanding that you are God, you are in heaven, we are on earth. The Bible says, let your words be few. Lift up the name of the Lord, extol him, because you are God. Father, anyone who's here today who's never trusted Christ, I pray, God, you'd bring them to the place of brokenness in themselves. They can't fix the mess they're in, but you did. Would they turn in repentance and faith and trust Christ today? And for me, and for our church, God, would we never forget the amazing gift of salvation. There's salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And Lord, we are saved by your grace and your mercy and your love and your justice, your compassion for us. And Lord, teach me, teach us how to take hold of that and to live differently as a result of it for your fame and your glory. We pray in Jesus' name.